Last week, if you were here, or maybe you caught it online or on the, the podcast, we talked about how uh, Paul was using the human body as analogy for the church, how there are many members, but there's one body, uh, how there's different roles within the church, how there's different giftings in the church, but all of these giftings ultimately complement each other, and they ultimately point to one who is the head of the church, who is Jesus Christ. And Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth, and we find ourselves even being encouraged with his encouragement to them to strive for unity. Uh, there's a lot of division and disunity amongst our culture and even the church today. Uh, a lot of little things that cause disruption within the body of Christ. Um, and we also looked, looked at some ways on, uh, on how to overcome hurt from the church. Uh, many of you, you uh, like I mentioned last week, have, uh, have real hurt uh, from a church. You've been burned by a church. And uh, let me just re-emphasize something. There is no such thing as a perfect church. Okay? That's because the church is made up of imperfect people, flawed people. And like I mentioned last week, if you find the perfect church, please, I beg of you, do not join it. Because you will ruin it. Uh, <laughs> Listen, we, have to, we had to understand what the church is, right? The church is uh, not the building. Uh, as we discovered two weeks ago with the power going out, uh, we met outside. And uh, it, it was an awesome time just of remembering that we don't have to have all of this. We just need the Word of God. And so uh, we got really a, a tangible lesson, if you will, on that Sunday when the power went out. Uh, but the church is the people. It's you and I. It's, it's, it's us together. Uh, and people are not perfect. Um, if you're married, you know that full well, right? Um, <laughs> I'm speaking on my wife's behalf because she, yeah, anyways, right. <laughs> She's listening too in the baby room, so I really got to watch it today. Just kidding. Anyways, but the church is also the bride of Christ, right? We see in scripture that on multiple occasions that the church is referred to the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is uh, the one that Jesus died for. The one that Jesus sacrificed his life for was for you and I, uh, for his bride. And one day, his bride will be uh, caught up together with him, in, uh, a.k.a. the rapture. Uh, we're not going all... Uh, uh, I can't even think of the word anyways. Um, but listen, uh, there were some other things as well. Uh, we discovered, and I'm sure we've done this a time or two, that sometimes we set unrealistic expectations upon people, right? Uh, we go into a church thinking that the church should be exactly the way that we think it should be, right? Um, we, we think that the, the music, like we mentioned, should be flawless, right? The sound guys should not have the volume too loud, but not too low, right? Like, but just... If you find the perfect mix, let me know. Actually, let Ken know, right? Actually, today, uh, never mind. Ken, you're doing a great job. Let's give it up for Ken in the back there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we set unrealistic expectations on people in the church. Uh, but then, when we are hurt by the church, oftentimes uh, we blame God for it. Um, you got to remember that God didn't bring the hurt. He didn't cause the hurt. And then if you have been hurt by a church, you've been burned by someone within the church, find somebody, 
a godly somebody, a trustworthy somebody, to walk you through the hurt that you have experienced. Uh, it does no good to bottle it up. It does no good to, to sweep it under the table. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I actually did that this week. I was sweeping something, and both Diane and Ian were uh, watching me, and I didn't have time to vacuum it or sweep it up into a dustpan, right? So you know what I did? Most logical thing. I swept it under the table. Um, but it was still there afterwards. So you got to deal with your, your stuff. Try turning that into an analogy. Anyways, uh, <laughs> but this week, so remember in context with the passages that we've been looking at, Paul is speaking about spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, he lists nine of those gifts. And then in uh, the, the latter portion of 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about how everybody, everybody has been gifted differently And then in chapter 14, as we'll get into next week, he's talking about the gift of tongues because the Corinthians held to this one belief that the gift of tongues was actually the top gift. Like, that is the gift that set you apart. Like, everybody should aim for that gift. And even Paul kind of alludes to how all these Corinthian believers were trying to strive for this greatest gift. But he says, there's another way. There's another way, and you should seek out that way. And that way, as we'll get into this morning, is the way of love. Uh, To sum up this passage, these verses, we could sum it up this way. If love does not exist within the church, within the believer, the gifts that you and I have been given do not matter one bit. If there is no love within you or myself, then the gifts we have been given don't mean a thing. So let's look at this word love for a minute because we kind of throw this word out quite a bit. Uh, some, some of us may be so flippant with this word love and we just are, I love everything, I love everybody. Well, be careful, hold on. But would you agree with me that our words are, are limited? The English language is not very good. It's not very descriptive. I mean, the same way I would use the word love in saying I love my wife is the same way that I would use the way love when I say I love animal style fries from in and out right? My wife is nothing like the French fries, and the French fries are nothing like the wife, my wife. Uh, but when it comes to the Greek language in Scripture, there's four different types of words to describe love. Not just one, but four. The first one is eros. Uh, It's a sensual or romantic type of love that is reserved for marriage. Marriage only. The Lord is clear on this uh, throughout scripture. And Paul, as we saw in actually chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, there was a lot of uh, uh, promiscuity, a lot of sexual immorality within the church. And Paul addressed this sexual immorality. He, he said, listen, this can't even exist within the church. You remember in chapter 5, uh, a son had his father's wife. It was pretty extreme in Corinth. And Paul was saying, listen, the sexual immorality can't even be named among you. It's not fitting for believers. And so he addresses this. He addresses marriage. Obviously, we, we saw that as well. But uh, eros, the Greek word, word was being misrepresented by the church Uh, it was out of the boundaries of marriage people were lusting after each other in a very promiscuous way 
The second one is storge, which is a familial love, the affectionate bond that happens between a parent and a child or a brother and a sister. Uh, This type of love, if you're looking in Scripture, can be seen between Martha and Mary, Mary and Martha, when their brother Lazarus had died. Uh, The third one is philea. Uh, This is a friendship type of love. It's a general love that God calls really each believer Two, John 13, 35 in the NIV translation, it says this, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you phileia one another, if you brotherly love one another. And the one that we'll be looking at this morning, as many of you may be familiar with it, is agape. Agape, which is the unconditional, unconditional immeasurable, incomparable love Of God that he has for humanity. It is perfect. It is unconditional. It is sacrificial. And it is pure. And listen like we mentioned. His love was demonstrated. Through the sacrifice. Of his one and only son. Jesus Christ. John 3.16. For God so agape the world. For God so unconditionally loved the world. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you know who the world is? Everybody. The unconditional love of God. No strings attached. There is no condition when it comes to God loving you. God loved you at your worst. Amen. God loves you at your worst. Amen. God loved you at your best. God loves you at your best. God loves you when you're full of anxious thoughts. And God loves you when you have full peace of mind. God loves you when you're worried. God loves you when you're trusting. God loves you when you're wandering. And God loves you when you're following. See, it is the love of God, the unconditional love of God, that should compel us to give up everything we are to him. Everything that he has given to us, because of that unconditional love that he has demonstrated, all we need to do is say, God, because of your great love for me, here I am. And because of his perfect love for us, we can now love him in return. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. But I think we have to face the the facts for a minute. Our love falls short at times. Would you agree? (laughs) Circumstances cause us to become distant, right? You're going through a hard time and, and, and you just feel distant from the Lord. Family drama, how about this one, causes us to become cold at times. Trials cause us to become hardened towards the love God has for us. But let me state one thing before we dive further into this text. God's love for you, no matter the season, no matter the situation, is unchanging. It doesn't change. And maybe there's someone here who just needs to hear this simple truth this morning. Simple but profound. God loves you. That's it. God loves you. No strings attached. Unconditional love for you. When you're at your worst and when you're at your best. So the kind of love that Paul is referring to here is is agape. Unconditional. It is the active love of God. It is the active love of a believer for another believer. It is the active love of of a believer, which a believer is called to, especially for his enemies. 
now, a little side note. So, um, I mentioned in the announcements we were having potluck. Um, in biblical days, if you will, um, whenever they shared a meal, they would not call them potlucks. Uh, they were much more descriptive in their uh, wording when it came to meals that were shared. And so when they would gather around for a meal um, as believers, they would call them agape feasts or love feasts, right? And so um, making an executive decision, uh, we are changing our name potluck that we have to agape Sundays, okay? Uh, potlucks, for some people give people the heebie-jeebies, right? Because they're like, I don't know what people cook. Do they have a cat? Do they have a dog? Do they have whatever? Now none of you are going to stay for potluck, and you're going to examine your food. Listen, anyways, we're going to change it to agape Sundays. So, with all that in mind, unconditional love of God, let's break down this text from Paul to a very confused church. Uh, to open, in, in this text, Paul uses three if-then-I statements, right? Uh, remember, Paul was addressing this church because they had fallen off the wagon completely. They, they had every spiritual gift. Paul even addresses that. He says, you guys have every spiritual gift. You're doing really well in that department, but the way you're loving one another, ah, not, not so good. Not so well. And so Paul is really addressing here their need to love over their need to practice these gifts or to try to attain the highest gift. And I love how Paul does not exclude himself from the call to love. Because if you look at how he writes, he says, if I, if I speak, right? If I give away, if I deliver up. But he points out three if I statements. Verse one, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, tongues of men and of angels can refer to more so the eloquence of speech, being able to orate very well or being skilled in communicating or being skilled in different languages. And Paul is saying, listen, even if I can talk really well, even if I can show off with the way that I speak, but have not love, I am nothing. And he says, actually, I may actually be more of a nuisance than anything because I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Now, I'm thankful that Tyrone knows how to play the drums because if I were back there, it would sound like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal, and nobody would want that. And Paul says, listen, if I speak in the tongues of men, if I have this eloquence of speech, but have not love, I'm just making a bunch of noise. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And that excellent way is the way of love. Paul is essentially saying this. He's saying, Impressive speech minus love equals nothing. It doesn't matter how well you can speak. If you, don't, if you don't have love, it amounts to nothing. If I don't have love, then my speech sounds like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The application is this. If there is no love in what you're saying, it's just a bunch of noise. It's just a bunch of noise that nobody wants to hear. If there is love in what you're saying, it ultimately is fitting, uh, it fits well with the proverb. Proverbs 25 verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. 
So listen, if your speech is accompanied with love, then it equals Proverbs 25, 11, A word fitly spoken. Verse 2, he says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So Paul previously was speaking in regards to the gifts that were given by the Holy Spirit. He, in chapter 12, you can revisit it. He was, he was talking about prophecy. He was talking about the gifts of, of tongues. He was talking about having faith. He was talking about these nine different gifts. But here he kind of brings it up again. Prophetic powers ultimately refers to the gift of prophecy. Uh, foretelling of, uh, of, of, of a future event can be one side of it. Or it can be a word of encouragement uh, for somebody. To understand all mysteries and knowledge is to mean that you're all-knowing like God. To understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, there's only one who has all knowledge, and that is God. Having all faith, right? He's saying you have the highest faith. You have the the top-of-the-line faith, the highest degree. But here's the truth. If the gifts we have, when we're operating them, are not being operated out of love, then the gift we have makes no difference at all. Impressive gifts minus love equals nothing. (laughs) There are many people, I'm not the only crazy one who hears that, right? Okay, just checking. There are many people who who will showboat their gifts, right? If you think about it, uh, they'll steal the glory from God. Look look at how well I do this. Look at how well I contribute or, or look at how long I stay after everybody but listen, it amounts to nothing if there is no love. The application is this. Whatever gift you have, listen, we are to operate it from the position of love. Uh, verse 3. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have no love, I gain nothing. Now, this verse, for some of us, it's easy to understand. If I give away all I have, it, Paul is saying, if I give everything away, if I give all my possessions away but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is referring to giving away one's possessions. He says, if I give it away, I have, uh, if I give everything away but have not love, I gain nothing. I've been around people before where uh, they will flaunt how well they give. Or, or they will uh, stand up on a box, and before they actually give, they will, they will say, hey, look how I'm giving, or look what I'm giving, or look at the amount. But Jesus says something specific about this. He says in Matthew 6, 2, he says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. <laughs> sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do. It could be translated this way. Uh, Don't go on social media and post how you serve the homeless this weekend and say, look how holy I am. Your reward is in the applause of men. He says, uh, "Don't, don't sound the trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When we do good deeds, we are not to flaunt. We are not to bring glory and praise to ourselves. We are to do what Jesus says in the next few verses in Matthew 6, 3, verse 4, uh, 6, 3 to 4. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
I remember when I was at uh, Harvest <clears throat> as a custodian, there was a number of us, but for a while there was only two of us. And um, around Christmas time, every year, and it seemed like it was around the same week too, every year uh, my associate and I, we would go to our, our inbox where we would get all of our mail and our assignments for the day. And uh, no fail, every single year that I was there, uh, there would be a certain amount of money in my mailbox. Not just mine, but my associates as well. And we, when we would approach our inbox, we would both look at each other and ask the same question. Do you know who it was? Nobody knew who it was. Even to this day, I still don't know who it was. But they demonstrated what Jesus says. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So listen, if you are giving in any way, time, service, uh, finances, whatever it may be, listen, don't flaunt. Don't bring glory to yourself. Be humble about it. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Now this next one is kind of interesting. He says, if I deliver up my body to be burned... Uh, at the time of this writing, the church of Corinth was not really experiencing persecution as, as they would down the road. So I doubt Paul was ultimately speaking of being martyred for the sake of Christ. Another way you could translate this, word, this phrase would be, deliver up my body that I may boast. Uh, since there was not a lot of persecution, what exactly was Paul talking about? Paul could have been alluding to how someone could sell themselves into slavery for uh, the purpose of providing for another person or to exchange places with a prisoner. So he was ultimately saying, listen, if I change places with a prisoner, if I sell myself into slavery for the sake of another person, he's saying, but I have no love in doing that, then I have nothing. Here's the point. If we do the most apparently unselfish act in order to glory in our weakness, it profits us nothing if we do it without love. Impressive personal sacrifices minus love equals, you guessed it, nothing. Now Paul gets into really a description of what love is. Verse 4 through 7. Love is patient. And kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It, does not, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, at one point, if you've been in church long enough, you've heard a pastor encourage you to replace love with your name. I'm, I'm sure most of us have heard that. So instead of saying love, you would say, Ian is patient, right? If you know, well, there's two of you, and you're looking at each other like. <laughs> Ian, Ian, are patient and kind. Uh, but listen, uh, the problem with this verse is that many of us will assume, uh, when it comes to this verse, that we should be implementing someone else's name in there. Like, oh man, this person would be so much better off if they actually, you know, were described by these descriptive words. Like, oh, I, I know a person right now who is very impatient, very unkind. If they just read this, it would change. No, I'm not asking you to look at the other person. I'm asking you to look at yourself. And for most of us, when we try to align with these verses, uh, 
we fall short. Many will say of love, love is love. We've heard that. Love is love. Love is a feeling. Love is when you get butterflies in your stomach for somebody. If you've been married for a while, you know that's that's not always the case. (laughs) Uh, Love is more than a feeling. Love is a choice. Uh, And some will say love is an emotion. Now, where did love originate? Obvious answer, God. Because that's who he is. First John 4, 8, it says God is love. God is not a feeling. God is not an emotion. God is unconditional love. And he calls us to demonstrate that love to one another. Paul is not writing about how love feels. Right? He's writing about how love can be seen in our actions. David Guzik said this, true love is always demonstrated by action. Now, some of these are easy for us to understand. Love is patient. We all struggle with impatience. Love is kind. Some of us struggle with being unkind, especially when we're hungry. Uh, Some of us struggle with uh, a lot of these uh, elements of what love is. And uh, my hope and prayer is that this morning we would understand what it means to love. Uh, And so, the first one is patience. So, this morning, um, as I was backing out of my, my driveway, <clears throat> I look to my left, and I see this little brown thing run, running on the sidewalk towards me, about this size, and, and, uh, and it's, it's a puppy. And uh, so I open my door. Most times when I open my door, and I'm sure you're like me, when you open your door for a stray dog, that stray dog doesn't come running into your car, right? It oftentimes goes the other way. This dog just was desperate enough to jump in my car. And so from 5.45 in the morning up until even now, one of my kids has this dog. And we have no idea where this dog belongs. But as I'm doing my normal stuff in the morning, guess what I'm having to do? I'm having to take this dog outside. I'm having to take this dog down with me to put signs out and stuff. Half of the time, this dog would not budge at all. We'd get into the middle of the the lobby over there and he'd just lay down. And I was not feeling very patient this morning, especially with a dog that I've never met, a dog that obviously needed some TLC. Uh, So in my impatience, and because he's got enough hair on him to be a mop on the floor, um, I was pulling him. I said, all right, man, you left your, I I wasn't talking to the dog like he's, uh, anyways, I just pulled him, all right. (laughs) But he got the hint. I think he's one of those, those foo-foo dogs because as soon as the duties got here, he jumped into the bottom of their strollers. If you have a stroller for your dog, we need to talk. We really do need to talk. <laughs> um, not, not, not judging you, but just why? Um, <laughs> I don't think it's a salvific issue. You're not going to lose your salvation if you do have a stroller for your dog, but just anyways. <laughs> you get the point. I was not very patient with this furball of a creature this morning. I didn't want to deal with it. Uh, and then, to top that, 
This is the shortcomings of a pastor's morning. That's what I should have titled the message this morning. And then when I get here outside these double doors, there's just this random dude laying down outside the doors, sleeping, sleeping. Not a homeless guy, just some random, random individual. And, and he's laying, and I tell you, he was knocked out. Like he was sound asleep because I'm not a yeller. And I was yelling, hey, wake up, good morning, hello. I whistled, I did everything. And this guy was like, it's, anyways, in my attempt to get this guy up and going, I, I obviously failed in my attempt. Uh, so I was becoming impatient. Um, and I could have waited for Ken and Diane to show up and really deal with, with this guy. Um, but uh, So I, I called the non-emergency line. Um, he wasn't harming anything uh, or anyone. But even the officer <laughs> had a hard time getting this dude up. But as soon as he got up, he did one of these disco moves like, okay, I'm up. I'm ready to go. Uh, but I was not feeling very patient. Uh, but has it ever happened to you where things kind of intrude on your schedule? They kind of throw you off a little bit. And instead of being patient, you're impatient because it's not according to your plans. Don't tell me I'm the only one. <laughs> We've all been there. But the idea behind love is patient is, is it endures a long time. It, it goes on and on and on. And even, even though the receiving in might not uh, be responding as you would want them to, you're patient with them. You're enduring uh, with them. It, this is a word used of a man who is wronged who easily has the power to avenge himself, but will not do it out of mercy and patience. To avenge means to inflict harm in return, whether by our words or uh, physically at times when we are not loving, we are impatient. We're impatient with one another. We're not enduring with one another. You see, Jesus had every opportunity to avenge himself. Right against those who nailed him to the cross, yet instead he displayed love through patience. Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slow, slowness, but is patient toward you. Is anybody thankful for his patience? I guess I'm the only one too. Kind, love is kind, right? This is essentially a kindergarten lesson. You all know what it means to be kind. I know what it means to be kind. But how many times have we forgotten what it means to be kind? To be gentle, in other words. Listen, our greatest example of being kind and gentle is none other than Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am what? I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, Jesus is not rough with us. He is not harsh. He is kind and he is gentle. Love does not envy. In other words, it is not eager to have what someone else has to a point where it causes the envious person to harm someone to get what they have. Here's some examples. Cain was envious of Abel's acceptable sacrifice. So much so that what did Cain do with his brother? He murdered his brother out of envy. Joseph's brothers, 
You remember the story of Joseph, how he was his father's favorite. He received the cloak of many colors. And what happened? His brothers jumped him, in essence, and said, you're going in a pit. Give us the cloak. And they made up some story. But it was out of envy towards Joseph because of the relationship Joseph had with his father. Envy put Jesus on a cross. Matthew 27, verse 18, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Envy destroys relationships and leaves a sour type of godliness towards another person. Why? Because often we try to spin our envy as if it is godly zeal. When in all actuality, it's nothing more than envy. Love does not boast. In other words, Love does not brag about itself. The New King James Version says this, love does not parade itself. It doesn't say, look at me, look how great I am, or look how I gave this amount, or look how much I contributed to this outreach, or look how much I stayed later than the others. Love does not boast or parade itself. This is, in essence, pride. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, as for me... May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. If we're going to brag, Paul is saying, let's brag about our Lord Jesus Christ. We have nothing to brag about. You and I are nothing compared to who the Lord is, who Christ is. So if you and I are finding ourselves parading ourselves, cancel that parade. Because it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, listen, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in Christ and Christ alone. Love is not arrogant, which again is pride. It's having this inflated ego. It's having a big head. David Guzik said this. Uh, he says, love doesn't get its head swelled. It focuses on the needs of others. Love is not rude. Rude meaning to act improperly or dishonorably or indecently or rudely. It does not insist on its own way. Selfishness, I think we can all agree on this, has never benefited anyone. When it becomes all about you and when it all becomes all about me, it doesn't benefit anyone. Oftentimes selfishness is, is what divides relationships. Philippians 2.4 speaks of the opposite of selfishness. He says, Paul says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Sometimes, our biggest concern in life is ourselves. What can I get out of it? How can I be noticed? What if we flipped it? What if we said, how can I... Bless someone else. Not what I can get out of it, but how can I give this to someone else, someone else without flaunting, without being boastful? How can I lift someone else up? The next one is, love is not irritable or resentful. Question is, what happens when you get hungry? You know. I know. Hangry, Yes. What happens when you get angry? You become irritable. You become resentful. What happens uh, when you feel lazy? Uh, irritability starts to creep in. 
and I'm sure we've all felt this way when we're tired, especially if you have kids uh, and you're tired and you know that bedtime's right there, but you're already checked out for the most part. Your irritability level is like through the roof right now. And guess who gets the brunt of it? Your kids. A related word uh, to irritability is sharp. Now, I heard this years ago from a pastor, and he encouraged all of us with this, but he says, whenever you feel the need to halt, do it. Some of the most spiritual things that you and I can do are the most practical things that we should do. If you're wondering what halt stands for, H stands for hungry. Listen, I know what happens when I get hungry. And my wife knows what happens when I get hungry. (laughs) And oftentimes when we're not feeding ourselves, when we're not just having a simple little snack, uh, irritability creeps in. Or angry. Sometimes we can get angry to a point where we become so irritable with the other person that we're angry with, and our irritability goes towards that other person, and it never amounts to anything good. The best thing that we can do when we're feeling angry is sometimes just walk away. What about lazy? If you're feeling lazy, uh, the call is to get up and do something. To, to get up and, and do something that is, that is beneficial or tired, like I had just mentioned. So whenever you're feeling hungry or angry or lazy or tired, you need to halt we need to halt because that, if we're not capitalizing on, on these things, if we're not noticing these things coming up in our lives, irritability will creep in. I love what John MacArthur says about this. He says, telling our wives or husbands that we love them is not convincing if we continually get upset and angry at what they say and do. Telling our children that we love them is not convincing if we often yell at them for doing things that irritate us and interfere with our plans. It does no good to protest. I lose my temper a lot, but it's all over in a few minutes. So is a nuclear bomb. A great deal of damage can be done in a very short time. Temper is always destructive, and even the small-tempered bombs can leave much hurt and damage especially when they explode on a regular basis. Lovelessness is the cause of temper, and love is the only cure. Next one Paul points out is, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Bless you. I think we find this more so in marriages, if you will. When our spouses wrong us, and, and we don't bring anything up right away, but rather we pull our phones out, and we get our notes out, and we keep record of all the wrongs that, that, that they have, and they've committed against us, and then when that wrong happens again, we're like, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We pull out our phone. We're saying, you remember that one time? I have it in my notes right here. You did this to me. You're laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> But it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't keep tally of how many times uh, somebody commits a wrong, but it rejoices with the truth. And then Paul says this. He says, love bears all things, which in turn means it endures all things. 
Love believes all things. In other words, it is not pessimistic. Love does not say when looking at the worst, it will, it will be this way forever and it'll even get worse. It believes that in spite of what someone is going through, in spite of what you're going through, it chooses to hope in God. It chooses to trust in God and it chooses to believe in God. And he says, love endures all things. It's not just a one-time act. It's, it's, it's a bearing. It's a believing and hoping in all things. It's a, it's a keeps on bearing. It's a keeps on believing. It's a keeps on enduring. And then Paul closes with this. In verse 8 through 13, he says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know it in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide in these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so Paul is pointing some things out that are within our present age, like prophecies and tongues and knowledge. He says, listen, those are present. These are here, but one day they're going to pass away. He says that in the present age, what we know is only in part. We don't have the full knowledge that we'll one day have when it comes to being in eternity with Christ. He says, in the present age, we have a decision to put away our childish ways. Which alludes to the fact how the Corinthians were still holding on to many of their childish ways. And Paul is ultimately encouraging them with this. It's time to grow up. It's, it's time to reach maturity. Remember how in one of the chapters Paul is talking about how he couldn't feed them with meat, but he had to continue to feed them with milk because they weren't mature enough to handle the full extent of what he was wanting to share with them. And Paul, throughout this whole letter to the Corinthians, is saying, listen, time to grow up. But then Paul gets into the age to come. He says that there will be a love that never ends. He says perfection will exist. He says all childish ways will be put away. And last but not least, he says we'll see God face to face. 1 John 3, 2. John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Listen, everyone faces eternity. Everyone has eternity destined for him. It's just a matter of where you're going to go for eternity. If you're not a believer in Christ, your eternity is in hell. If you are a believer in Christ, your eternity is in heaven. All of us will have an eternity, just in different places. And so my question for you this morning is, where will you spend eternity? Will it be in heaven or will it be in hell? But there will be a day, regardless 
of where your destination is. That there will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Paul says this in Philippians. He says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, which pretty much means everybody. He says, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the city of Corinth, uh, Corinth was actually known uh, for producing some of the best bronze mirrors. Uh, now, we don't, I don't think we have bronze mirrors in, in our day, but today when we look in a mirror, we get a pretty accurate picture. We get a clear picture. Yet in their day, when they would look at some of these bronze mirrors, sometimes uh, the image would be distorted. Sometimes it wouldn't make sense. It would be unclear. And for most of us, I think sometimes it feels like we're looking into that bronze mirror where it's just, this doesn't make sense. What I'm looking at doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up to the way that I, I thought it was going to be. Life can seem that way. It can seem like we're looking at an unpolished mirror, but we have to remember who is holding that mirror. We have to remember that even though it may not make sense right now, the one who is holding that mirror is reminding us that there will be a day where the chaos and confusion of this life will be no more. It will soon pass away. Things will finally make sense. The questions that that we all have will be answered one day and we will fully know. Even as Paul says, we are fully known. And then he finishes with this. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And so Paul takes us back to his original thought of the more excellent way. And the more excellent way is the way of love. I want to end with a quote from William Barclay. He says, Faith without love is cold, and hope without love is grim. Love is the fire which kindles faith, and it is the light which turns hope into certainty. And maybe you're looking for that faith and hope this morning. It is only when you discover God's unconditional love that you will find faith and hope because his love will lead you to that faith and hope that we so desperately want. And so maybe you're searching this morning for love. Listen, you're not going to find a love like God's in the world. Only his is unconditional. Many of the loves that we experience within our world have strings attached. If you love me, then you'll do this. Listen, the Bible calls us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. So I would encourage you, if you're trying to To situate yourself in someone else's love, it's not going to work. Only in the unconditional love of God will it work. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many things in life that seem to crowd out your love for us. Lord, so often we turn to other relationships to try to find fulfillment. So, so often we try to turn to another career choice to find fulfillment. Lord, nothing will satisfy. Lord, nothing will complete us. Nothing will, will help us to have faith and hope.
The only thing that will is your unconditional love for us. Nothing in this world will offer what you can offer to us, what you are offering to us. Lord, we desire to demonstrate these attributes of love, but oftentimes, God, we fall incredibly short. Lord, and I pray that you would forgive us. God, that you would forgive us for being impatient and unkind, and you would forgive us for being irritable and resentful at times, God. And that we would stop looking at love as a feeling, but we would look at love as a choice. God, you've called us to it, so help us to do it. So Lord, we thank you for your unconditional love for us. God, I pray that if anybody in this room or watching online this morning, if they need to accept you as their Lord and Savior for the very first time, I pray that they would. Lord, apart from you, their eternity is in hell. I pray that they would cry out to you, that they would recognize their need for the Savior who can save them from their sins, who can forgive them of their sins, who can give them the hope of heaven. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here, they would just cry out to you, Lord, save me, forgive me, help me to walk with you. So, Lord, we commit our lives to you we ask that you would be honored and glorified as we do our best to live for you. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Hello all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.